These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. As we record this podcast for the week of September 20th, 2020, that's a lot of 20s, the United States is in the throes of a turbulent presidential election cycle. Politics are kind of crazy at the best of times, but what do you do when you get a real character in the White House? Somebody the press hates, whom other politicians see as an outsider, who constantly says crazy things, and yet who somehow got elected to the highest office in the land. You know, nope, we're not talking about Donald Trump. For the answer to just who is on the menu, stay tuned to episode 207 of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. surmised by now that, barring some kind of mad science mishap, I'm not Jeff Kelly. Jeff's on a well-deserved vacation and he's once again called upon a couple of crazy Washingtonians to fill in for him. The crazy Washingtonians in question are, of course, myself, Nancy Fry, and my historian spouse, Gordon Fry. Now, poor Gordon's been under the weather this week, so his voice is a bit rough, but he managed to drag himself out of bed to extemporize a bit on a topic he's been pondering for a while. We've decided we're going to talk about, since it's a presidential election year, why not sort of address that obliquely? And we're going to talk about a president who came in from the outside who kind of ruffled a lot of people's feathers. Nobody expected him to be elected. And he's taken a lot of flack. He's kind of a weirdo. He's very entertaining, and and, uh, you never know what you're going to get. And a lot of people, he drives a lot of people really crazy. And we're not going to talk about Donald Trump. Uh, this is we're going to talk about some other presidents who are kind of like Donald Trump in that way, but just by way of telling you that there's nothing new under the sun. And with that, I'm going to hand things over to Gordon. Gordon, you've got some ideas. You have some presidents who you think were just as wacky and had just as much opposition and trouble as Trump has had. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I think we're going to go back to the first decades of this country, I think, to start with. Yeah, within the first 50 years. Uh, you get Andy Jackson. He was the founder of the modern Democratic Party. Uh, he was a war hero from the War of 1812, mostly because he was the only guy in the Western theaters that could actually win a battle. Um, <laughs> there, there were a lot of really bad generals in the War of 1812 on both sides. Were they just inexperienced? or Inexperienced, incompetent. Uh, he was actually a political appointee, but he turned out to be very competent, uh, mostly because he had a lot of drive. That guy had enormous drive. <clears throat> but he also had a heck of a temper. Uh-oh. In fact, in one of his campaigns uh, leading up to the Battle of Horseshoe Bend against the Red Stick faction of the Creek Nation. Uh, some of his militiamen decided that their 90 days of service was up just before the battle. Uh, and uh, Jackson, who still had he had his arm in a sling from being shot in the arm, 
during a duel. Um, a duel. During a duel. Yeah. Uh, his opponent, he killed his opponent, but his opponent shot him in the arm and broke it. Anyway, <clears throat> so he sat on his horse. He got mounted up and handed a rifle. And he said, first man who walks away from here, I'm going to shoot. And everybody in the militia said, mm, yeah, he, he, he will. Okay. Done and done. <clears throat> I guess we'll, we've extended our term of service for a little while here. Well, it's a good thing they didn't have Twitter back then. Oh, yeah, I know. I think <laughs> things would have been, you know, the screeching would have been furious. Anyway, so Andy Jackson, uh, he's a frontier lawyer. He, uh, he, was, a, uh, he was instrumental in the founding of, of the state of Tennessee, or if you're from Tennessee, then Tennessee, <laughs> so I'm told. Anyway, <clears throat> he was a, a bit of a madman. He was extremely loyal to his friends. He was also a bitter enemy to his enemies. But he could also be persuaded uh, to change his opinions on people. In fact, he had a <clears throat> he had a shootout with <laughs> with the Benton brothers. Uh, they were political opponents of his in Nashville in the Tennessee legislature. They were staying in the same boarding room, boarding house, rather. And uh, both of the, the three participants, Thomas Hart Benton, his brother, and Jackson, exited their rooms at the same time, met in the hall, and Jackson was still fuming from a legislative defeat they'd handed him the day before. So he pulled a knife and briskly advanced on the brothers, who pulled pistols. And Thomas Hart Benton shot him. Uh, did a pretty good job, too. I think that was the one that broke, might have been the one that broke his arm. Anyway, I know he got shot, and that was the end of that fight. But years later, uh, Benton and uh, Jackson were close political allies in Washington, D.C. So Jackson could definitely be motivated to change his mind. And, and another demonstration that people on opposite sides of the political spectrum can actually be friends. It's, mm -hmm. it's okay to disagree with somebody politically and still... Yeah, but it's frowned upon it. <laughs> pulling knives on him and trying to kill him. That, that's, that's not <clears throat> too acceptable. So Jackson ran for president first in 1824. He'd made his real name for himself in 1815 at the Battle of New Orleans, where he decisively beat the British invasion force. Um, with a very wild hodgepodge of troops, including Indians, free black militia, pirates, <laughs> frontiersmen. That sounds like a great movie. Yeah, I think they've made a couple about that. Actually, there was one back in eons ago with uh, Charlton Heston playing Andy Jackson. He did a really good oh, job. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, so Jackson first ran for president in the election of 1824, and it was heavily contested, and it got thrown to Congress to make the vote as to who won, because really? it was, yeah, and that wasn't, that was not the first time um, it had, that had happened in 1800 with, uh, um, with uh, Jefferson and Aaron Burr, and it was an interesting one there, because Alexander Hamilton, who had been a bitter enemy politically of uh, of uh, Jefferson, <clears throat> voted for Jefferson instead of his own party member, Aaron Burr. But they had some issues, even though they'd been friends for years and years. They had some issues, and 
That ended up boiling over eventually, and Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton. So it's kind of cool that, you know, the guy in the $10 bill got shot by the guy who founded Chase Manhattan Bank. But anyway, the, uh, the election of 1824 was between Jackson and John Quincy Adams, and it got thrown into to Congress to vote on who won, and um, a man that Jackson had assumed he had the support of, uh, Henry Clay, actually voted for uh, John Quincy Adams and later became John Quincy Adams' Secretary of State. So Jackson immediately assumed collusion was involved, which may or may not have been true. But anyway, the next time in 1828, he won by a pretty hefty margin. So there's no no question that he won that one. But he came into office uh, as the first populist president. He was definitely a populist. He had the vote of the common man, and he helped increase, increase uh, the suffrage, you know, universal manhood suffrage, basically. If you were free white and out of jail, you got to vote and mail. Which is interesting we because... We just take that for granted because it wasn't just rich landholders who were able to vote. It was like anybody could vote. Right. But before that, you had to have a certain amount of money and property to vote. Which is funny because there were women who could vote because they were landowners who were now had their franchise removed because women then couldn't vote. If you were a property owner and a woman, you could vote. Later, under Jackson... Although there was universal manhood suffrage, at least to a certain extent, women no longer, even if they were property owners, couldn't vote. So the whole universal suffrage thing, suffrage for women, hasn't been this straight line no. of gradually gradual improvement. It's like anything else in history. It, there are very few straight lines. It's a lot of, it's like it's like writing a good novel. There's the try-fail cycle. Yes. It's ups and downs and ups and downs, and eventually you get to improvement, but it's not a straight road. Right. So Jackson comes into D.C., to Washington City, pardon me, and moves into the White House, and his inauguration party was absolutely wild. Whiskey flowed freely. People with muddy boots stood on the furniture to cheer, <laughs> and it was, it was a mess um, because Jackson's wife, Rachel, had died not long before during the during the um, election cycle. Oh. Uh, he was a widower, and so Dolly Madison yet again took over as hostess. She was hostess of the White House for I don't know how many years because of all these bachelors and widowers who were, um, mm. you know, who were president. Anyway, Jackson was very sensitive to things about his wife because she had gotten a divorce. Her husband had told her the divorce was final. She assumed it was. She got married to Jackson. Turned out it wasn't absolutely final. Oh, no. So she was accused. Of, they were both accused of bigamy and all kinds of horrible things. Anyway. So muckraking is nothing new. Absolutely not. And looking for skeletons in people's closets. Is oh, absolutely ab- not. Nothing new. Absolutely not. And so Jackson Jackson got into more than one shootout, you know, duel over that. Um, in fact, what's really funny is that on two occasions, while president, 
Jackson got into fights. Uh, one was there was an assassination attempt against him. And um, an Englishman pulled out a pistol and put it against Jackson's, um, Jackson's chest and pulled the trigger, but it didn't go off. Ooh. Now, when it was tried again later, it worked fine. But against that time, it snapped and didn't go off. It was a misfire. And before Jackson's bodyguard could tackle the guy, Jackson <laughs> assailed him about the head and shoulders with his cane. <laughs> so that guy got a quick lesson in reality there. Ouch. When you shoot the king, make sure your pistol goes off. What was, what was public opinion of Jackson? How did the press see him at the time? Most of the press hated him, but most of the people loved him. Hmm. Boy, nothing yeah. new under the sun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, of course, there was a pro-Jackson press, but there was also a very anti-Jackson press, a sure. virulent. Mostly the northern, northern establishment press hated him. Hmm. They despised him. Uh, for, among other reasons, uh, he had a very verbal and public and successful fight with the Second Bank of the United States, which was a precursor to the Federal Reserve. Oh. It was a central bank, <clears throat> which he felt was controlled by London, which it probably was. And they were full of themselves, and they demanded to have their charter renewed a little bit early, and he fought them, and it went down. Wow. They got their charter removed. So there was, uh, you know... Real money, not issued by a bank. It was issued by the actual treasury of the United States. Jackson also, <clears throat> oh, I didn't tell you about the other <laughs> incident with Jackson that was funny. There's uh, only one other? Yeah, only one other. There was plenty. But the one that comes to mind is some miscreant was crossing, cutting across the White House lawn, which Jackson felt was was particularly galling to him. And so he pulled out a pistol and shot at the guy. He missed, but the fellow <laughs> removed himself with haste. <laughs> Who uh, needs a secret service when your president is packing? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, Jackson was a, a strange and wonderful guy. He was emaciatedly thin, so a lot of times uh, when his opponents would shoot at him they'd miss they thought they got a solid shot but his clothes were so loose it went right through his turned clothes. sideways and disappeared pretty much irascible quick to anger but also again a very um a very close very loyal friend but he can't have been the only character in the white house in the last couple hundred years no not at all there was another interesting fellow who came to the white house as a total outsider he was a railroad lawyer. He had been in Congress once before in 1846 to 48. And uh, <clears throat> he famously told, uh, hollered out in Congress when uh, James K. Polk wanted to have, declare war on Mexico over American deaths on American soil, which had actually happened in a debatable part of the border between Texas and Mexico. And this gentleman hollered out, I want to see that on a map. Because the debatable land between the Nueces and the uh, Rio Grande was mm, not yet officially <laughs> a border. Official U.S. soil. Yeah, because mm. Texas was becoming, it's become a annex to the United States, but Mexico always had claimed the border was the Nueces River. Texas claimed it was the Rio Grande, 
even though historically Tejas, the province of Tejas, it was the Nueces River, 100 miles to the north. Anyway, <clears throat> so this fellow went back to his home in Illinois. And by remember, this was not a log cabin that you may have heard about him growing up in. This gentleman, who was a lawyer for what became the Illinois Central Railroad, uh, he had the biggest, fanciest house in Springfield, Illinois, which was the state capital of Illinois. Not exactly a log cabin. Uh, he may have been a rail splitter in his youth, but not by the time he was the big lawyer. So was that part of the establishment kind of putting the screws on him and trying to make him out to be a bumpkin? And a that was actually part of his uh, part of his own campaign to mm. a diffuse the claims of country bumpkinness ah. and also appeal to the common man. And <clears throat> one of the things that this is obviously Abraham Lincoln we're talking right. about here. <laughs> um, his um, his campaign, he um, he'd had he he came to real na national notoriety or notice when he was having debates with Stephen Douglas over who was going to be appointed senator for the state of Illinois to the United States Senate. And just about every newspaper in the United States printed copies of these debates. And they were amazing. Both men were extraordinarily eloquent, put, put their positions very well. Uh, these guys, these guys, they don't make speeches like these anymore. These guys weren't, they were off the cuff. These guys were just having a debate, and it was astonishing. And everybody who had a thought on the issue of slavery knew exactly where these guys stood. Now, Lincoln, when he ran for the presidency in 1860, knew he was going into a tumultuous situation. Uh, he appealed to um, the common man, the non-slaveholder common man, uh, basically with the fact that slaveholding was rather contrary to the best the best interests of the common man because if you've got a an agricultural business agribusiness um, over there with huge holdings and hundreds of slaves how do you compete as a single farmer you know so there was a lot of that going on there was also arguments over the tariff which had been on and off again the tariff was primarily designed, the tariff is basically an import duty, and it was designed to protect New England manufacturers from cheaper and often better English imports. And so the tariff is also what paid for the government of the United States. There was no direct taxation at all. So it all came from the tariffs. And so Democrats in general were against the tariff, the Whigs and now the Republicans uh, were for the tariff. Interestingly, Lincoln was not the first Republican candidate for the presidency. That was John C. Fremont, who was a blunderer of world-class renown. Uh, and it's a darn good thing he didn't get elected because... Um, I think the Civil War would have been over in about 20 minutes with the South winning. Um, that guy, that guy could screw up a sure thing. 
Anyway. So you, when you say that <clears throat> a Republican contender, you mean in that year? In that, in that year. Yeah. It, it, he was the, John C. Fremont was the Republican contender in 1856. Okay. That was the first Republican to run for the presidency after the, the collapse of the Whig Party oh, after okay. the Mexican-American War. Because the Republican Party was kind of a new... It was brand new. It was, it was often sold as an abolition party, a party of the abolitionists, which it to some degree was. It was also the party of business, but also the party of, um, in a lot of ways, small business, small, small holders of things. Um, it later became the party of big business when they held absolute power in Washington for 50 years or so. But when it began, it was yeah, big business, but with other things too. But the, um, but when Lincoln came into the election cycle, this was, uh, got to remember 1859, one of the biggest events of U.S. history happened, one of the most critical, I should say. It wasn't big, but it was certainly critical. And that's the John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. And I say that because it was interesting in that John Brown's raid, where he decided he and his disciples would attack the U.S. manufacturing of weapons, the arsenal in Harper's Ferry, Virginia, uh, in order to arm a slave revolt. The Southerners were somewhat appalled by this, but it was put down quickly and they didn't think too much of it. What appalled the South was the Northern presses, the establishment presses, absolute indignation that it had been unsuccessful. And their cries for how wonderful it would have been had the uh, John Brown been successful and had murdered Southerner, Southern slaveholders in their beds and, you know, raped and murdered all the children and families and set the slaves free into a path of destruction, which is exactly what the slaveholders had always feared the most. And here's the northern press whipping this sort of thing up. And as one southerner, his book I read, he was, uh, became quite prominent during the Civil War as Jeb Stewart's uh, chief engineering officer, um, he said he was just an engineer. He was a civil engineer, never thought about politics until then. All of a sudden he thought, these people hate us. They're not our brothers. They don't, they don't just have a disagreement with us. They hate us and they want us dead. And so he went and formed a company, a militia company, which ended up being like a company, a troop or whatever of the 1st Virginia Cavalry. And this is why the South did so well in the first years of the Civil Wars, because they had about a year's time to get ready because they knew they, they had a good inkling on what was coming. Now, <clears throat> to show that Lincoln wasn't the great lover of black people that is claimed these days, uh, he was a strong proponent of what was called the Cooper Amendment to the Constitution. It was going to be the 14th Amendment, which, of course, the modern 14th Amendment, the actual 14th Amendment, is what um, abolished slavery. This, the Cooper Amendment, would have enshrined slavery forever in the Constitution. 
And Lincoln offered this and supported this as a means of keeping the South within the Union. When South Carolina seceded prior to his actual coming into office, after he was elected, but before they came into office, this was like in December of 1860, uh, his response was, well and good, but I intend to enforce the tariff. And that's what Fort Sumter was all about, was the federal garrison, federal ships were going to enforce import duties because into the South. Oh. Whether or not they claimed to be an independent nation or not, Lincoln intended to enforce taxation on them. Wow. And a lot of what the Civil War was about from the Southern point of view was rather unfair taxation. The good excuse for Lincoln was the uh, freeing the slaves. That really didn't occur. They didn't even really talk about that until you know, well into the war, which was going poorly for the Lincoln administration. So I ask you this about Jackson, and I'll ask you this about Lincoln, too. I've seen some political cartoons from during Lincoln's uh, time as president, and they are not flattering. No, they they referred to him as a gorilla, a monkey, uh, a madman, a dictator, um, which he kind of sort of was, actually. But... um, he, he was yeah. Not flattering is a is a gentle way of putting it. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, if if some if newspapers were to run political cartoons like those today, people on both sides of whatever issue would be appalled. Oh yeah, they're just absolutely they're just scathing. Oh, they're yeah, they're horrible. Um, and anyway, so he was not loved at all. Now, the only reason Lincoln was actually elected was since he only got 40% of the vote, he only got 40% of the vote. vote. Stephen Douglas was the official candidate for the Democratic Party, but the South didn't necessarily trust him too much because he was also from Illinois, and even though a good Democrat, his support of slavery was thin, shall we say. So they ran, was it? John Breckinridge, mm, Breckinridge, against both of them. So basically, they split oh. the Democrat ticket, uh. and um, and therefore Lincoln could win with a plurality rather than a majority vote. And so, if you got the plurality, you know, and your opponents don't, then you get the electoral college and you win. What I thought was funny was. Uh, well, four years ago, people were squawking about, well, this guy doesn't have the quality qualifications to be president. And frankly, there's only two set, three qualifications you need. One, you need to be over 35 years old. You have to be a natural-born American citizen. And you have to have 270 electoral votes. That's it. That's the only qualifications. If you can do those three things, you're good to go. Hmm. So... Anyway, um, Lincoln got him because yep. the Democrats split the vote. And then they threw a tizzy, and rather than uh, trying to work it out a little bit, they uh, decided to split instead, which technically 
constitutionally, they probably had an absolute right to because we're not the Crips, you know, <laughs> where once you join, you can't ever quit, you know, unless, unless you're dead. So anyway, but there's others I'd like to talk about. Oh, I can think of a couple, but I bet you've got a whole pocket full. I got a few. Um, one in much more modern history. Actually, I got two in much more modern history, but one of them is actually Jimmy Carter. Oh, really modern history. Really modern history. I was thinking of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Who... Eh, he was pretty much an insider. He was, oh, yeah? Was yeah. he more of an insider? Oh, okay. He was an insider for a lot, of, a lot of reasons. He ruffled a lot of feathers, but yeah, I guess he, he was a career politician. Yeah, as yeah, but for Teddy Roosevelt, as uh, one of his nominal supporters said when uh, I heard that McKinley had been assassinated, he said, well, I guess we'll have to deal with that damned cowboy after all. Anyway, so Jimmy Carter, governor of Georgia, interesting character, I think an an honest man, which is why he was such a failure. He was actually a decent, honest man thrown into the maelstrom of this meat grinder that's called Washington. I remember when I was a little kid, my mom talking about Carter, and she said, he's a very, he seems like a very nice man, but that's probably why he's not a great president is he's he's too soft or too weak or too mealy-mouthed or whatever well, it was. Well, he's too empathetic. Yeah, something. Sympathetic. He it was, was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But he, I think he was a good man, but he was an abject failure because he's a good guy. And even the Democrats, his own party, ran roughshod over him. The press, The press made a lot of fun over him because of his obviously to me, very real Christian faith. Um, And they thought he was stupid because of it, which is, you know, no surprise there. But the... um, Oh, yeah, I remember the President Peanut stuff. Oh, yeah. Farmer. Yep, Peanut Farmer, which he was. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) And, of course, his brother Billy didn't help matters. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Yeah, kind of a, a nut... Remember Billy Beer? Billy Beer, yep. I remember that. <laughs> like, oh my word, Billy Beer. But juxtapose against that, another governor who became president very shortly thereafter was also an outsider. He'd been working the system for a while, but he was still considered an outsider. And that's Ronald Reagan. Also a genuinely nice guy, I think. But he had some very strong convictions, which shown through. I don't know if he actually got any of the things he claimed he was going to get done, done. Um, but, but he was an effective communicator. In fact, I called him the great communicator and the, the press couldn't stand the fact that everything they threw at him bounced off and they called him the Teflon president because he'd just laugh at him. They'd come up with absurd charges and he'd laugh and they all right. And they'd have to find some new thing to accuse him of. <clears throat> but you know, Reagan Reagan was about about the last president prior to this one who was an outsider. Everybody else has been consummate insiders of one way or or another, with some group or another. <clears throat> I think I think President Obama was elected as an outsider. I think people hoped he was an outsider, but he didn't really act that way. He definitely went with the party line and totally with the 
you know, um, with what the, uh, what the establishment wanted. Trump, boy, love him or hate him, you got to give him credit. He, he does the Teddy Roosevelt thing of make sure my name's in the paper every day. (laughs) (laughs) Bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral and the baby at every christening yes <laughs> speaking of teddy roosevelt yes and his daughter actually said that about him mm-hmm. but uh you know trump is very rooseveltian in a lot of things in his his personality um teddy roosevelt had this huge personality that affected anything that came within his sphere because of his energy and enthusiasm mm-hmm. uh irrepressible enthusiasm and i think trump has a lot of that and which is why again the press throws all the stuff against him and they don't find a lot to stick from accusations this that and the other thing to an impeachment to you name it and it's like wow he's he's endlessly entertaining even people um i've seen political cartoons and memes and um YouTube videos and stuff. Even people who think Trump's okay have a ball making fun of him. He's just endless material for for jokes and memes and whatnot. He's just such a character. Yeah, Orange Man. Orange Man. (laughs) Which accordion hands and oh yeah, it's just the best. Really, the best. I have the best dot 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 fill in whatever. Yes, the goodness keeps on coming. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he's. He's easy to make fun of, as are all huge personalities. Yeah. yeah. Big personalities. Bill Clinton, do same things. thing. He yeah. He's easy. You know, he was such a character, too, in a lot of ways. Speaking of which, Bill Clinton sort of came in as an outsider, but was not. Uh, he didn't He didn't act as an outsider. So, um, interesting stuff. So, the political scene in the United States has been one of all kinds of craziness. And if you look at all of the... Oh, yeah, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Voter fraud. Lincoln, they, to the... Uh, was it the WAPO? Washington Post printed this thing the other day. There was a concerted effort by the Democrats to um, do mail-in voter fraud against Lincoln using the soldiers who are out on, you know, in service basically taking their mail-in ballots and marking them for them. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so it got it got uncovered, and the guys got prosecuted for it. Wow. But this was, it's a thing. Yeah. yeah it's, there's nothing new under the sun. Human nature is human nature. People are going to try to get what they want, a hooker by crook. And some people do it legally and above board and some people are the ends justify the means yep absolutely i think there's a lot more of that <laughs> so i guess your thesis for this episode would be there's nothing new under the sun yeah, pretty much politics pretty much. are crazy politics are crazy and people are going to do their utmost to get what they want yeah which is usually power and money yeah um sometimes a person comes along who's who's actually a person of the people uh, even though they don't come from that, like FDR, for example, he was no saint, but he was he came from a very wealthy background, and he was a man of the people. Hmm. So, 
So who's your least favorite president of all time? Woodrow Wilson. I knew that. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. <laughs> that could be a whole episode right Presumptuous, there. sanctimonious. Uh, he instituted uh, institution, literally institutional racism within the American U.S. federal civil service and armed forces. Wow. So things were on their way. Racism was on its way down. Yeah. And he came and along he, and, and sabotaged he helped, it. He helped light that fire. <sighs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah. And he got us into World War One for no good reason, other than to back the bankers who were probably going to lose a lot of money on it if Britain and France lost. But <clears throat> there it is. But no, I can't stand him. He's the, the sanctimoniousness, smugness. Um, when dealing with Mexico... We invaded Mexico, and he said, we shall teach them to elect good men. Excuse me? Okay. Excuse me? (laughs) Yeah, pompous is right. Very pompous. So who's your favorite president? I know you probably have a couple. I got a couple. I I like George Washington. Well, he's pretty hard to beat. He's pretty hard to beat. He uh, single-handedly ensured that the officer corps of the United States Army did not overthrow Congress. Uh, he also made sure that he did not become a king. They offered it to him. They offered it to him. I think had he had sons of his own, he might have, but he did not, and he knew that a succession would be very problematical. So he didn't do that. And he just, he he steered a very difficult course in trying to keep friends with France, which was then going through its paroxysms of revolution following ours, but also trying to make peace with Britain. And which he did. He came to an agreement with Britain that reinstituted trade between the United States and Britain. Which is huge. Which was huge. Yeah. It was an enormous amount for both both parties. Um, The French chose to take that as an alliance, and then they demanded money from us and all kinds of crazy (laughs) things, which eventually led to the quasi-war of 1789. But anyway... (laughs) <laughs> that's uh, another episode. That's another episode. That was poor John Adams had to deal with that one. But anyway, who's another favorite president? I like Teddy Roosevelt as a person, but some of the things he did as president, I strongly disagree with. Okay, well, awesome. Oh, Grover Cleveland. I like Grover oh, yeah. Cleveland. When was he? <clears throat> 1880s. Okay. Uh, he was actually 18... He had two admissions that were separated by... Um, really? Somebody, yeah. So he's counted twice because he wasn't, he was. So he didn't have consecutive terms. Right. He didn't have, but he. So did any, is any other president in American history have non-consecutive terms? Nope. He was it. Oh. And it was probably through the Republicans doing voter fraud that <laughs> won, that won in the middle for him, for them. But um, Grover Cleveland was a, basically a, a constitutionalist, a libertarian, uh, and a good, a good soul, from everything I can tell. So, I like Grover Cleveland. Okay. Yay, Grover. And he has a great name, Grover Cleveland. There's a lot of people who are named after him. Yeah, a little blue guy on Sesame Street. <laughs> You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast. And we thank you for listening. 
This show takes money to produce and keep on the air, so if you have a few coins to help us keep things going, that would be wonderful. You can do so by contributing to Jeff's Patreon page. Just go to coffeewithjeff.com for more information, including a link to Coffee with Jeff's homepage at transistor.fm. And be sure to tell your podcast listening friends, won't you? You can also email Jeff at coffeewithjeff, all one word, at gmail.com with comments or story ideas, which are always welcome. And also follow at Twitter by searching for coffeewithjeff, also all one word, and at Facebook too. We'd like to thank Jeff for letting us do his podcast this week, David Metzger for the snazzy Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all of you who repost the show across social media. You have a special place in our hearts. So take care, stay healthy, and Jeff will be back in two weeks. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff.